0: That's right. How we doing? Good? Excited? That's right. we got a lot of stuff happening for you today. So uh, Easter is about resurrection, in case you didn't know that. It's not only about after resurrection, it's about eternal life. It's about the afterlife, some would say it. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of people have a lot of different positions when it comes to the afterlife. There's a lot of opinions when it comes to this stuff. The first opinion a lot of people have is that it doesn't exist. There's no such thing. When we die, we go to the dirt. Well, who told you that? The second position oftentimes is, well, there's a heaven, and there's many ways to get to heaven. And there's another position that says, everybody gets to go to heaven. Well, let me just briefly answer a couple of these questions in short form. Is there an afterlife? The answer, yes. Yes. Yes, there is. This is not the end. People go, no, we die and we go to the dirt. You had to, the Bible tells us this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, the Lord has put everything in its time and he has put eternity in mankind's heart. We know there's an eternity based upon, it's embedded in the subconscious. Mankind knows. You can take a child and you can bring the child up. They understand the concept of forever, Right? Children don't have to, they don't have, they're not confused on whether or not there's a forever. They know that there's a forever. The cycle of nature teaches us something. We have the four seasons and we see the cycle of death and reburial, the cycle of death and, and resurrection through the changing of the seasons. Yes, there is an afterlife. See, are there many ways to get into heaven? No. Jesus said, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way i am the truth i am the life no one that means absolutely no one comes to the father except through me he's not saying i'm not he's not saying i'm a way i'm not one of many ways i'm the only way there's only one way it's through jesus does everyone get in answer to that question again is no jesus said unless you're born again you cannot see or enter the kingdom of god you're not coming in unless you're born again you say, Jesus died for the whole world. Yes, he did. Jesus paid the price for the entire world, but we mankind has to agree and appropriate that price or it doesn't happen. It's like getting an RSVP. You have to, you've been invited to a party, right? But if you don't RSVP, your name's not on the list. And so you show up at the door and they're checking. They're like, nah, but I got an invitation. Yeah, but you didn't RSVP, man. Sorry, you're not getting in. You have to RSVP. All of us have, if you're unsure about eternity this morning, I want to, to listen to this as though your life depended upon it, because it does. It's true. If you're a Christian this morning and you're kind of not sure, you're like, I don't know if this is real. I don't know what, what's this all about. I'm not really sure. I'm still afraid. I'm not really sure if this is certain. Well, I want to take that away from you as well this morning too, all right? So Jesus having been sentenced to death, we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 23. Jesus was sentenced to death. you know what he was sentenced to death for? Anybody know his crime? What his, convic- what his crime was? Anybody know? Blasphemy. 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 Which means he claimed to be God. They cruci- and do you know what Jesus said? Guilty. <laughs> they, they, so he, he was, his death sentence was blasphemy. And he's being crucified between two lawbreakers. The translation is thieves, but actually in the original it means lawbreakers. The Bible doesn't tell us what they did, but whatever they did, it was deserving of death. And Jesus is being crucified between two of them. And in Luke chapter 23, it says one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus hurled insults at him. He's like, okay, so you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, then prove it. Save yourself and us too. Little did he know that was exactly what he was doing. (laughs) But the other criminal rebuked him, and he said, Dude, do you not even fear death while you're standing at the door? You're not afraid of what's on the other side, even though your toe's halfway through? He said, We, have, we are de- deserving to die for our evil deeds, but this one has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I want you to say these two words with me. Or three words, say this, I assure you. I assure you. That's right. That's right. He assures us there's a certainty. Today you will be with me in paradise. And so Jesus being crucified between two thieves, you say, is that poetic? No, God, I believe God is doing that prophetically and he's showing mankind with two choices. One to reject and one to receive. One to insult and to scoff and to say, this is nothing. This is insignificant. Who is God? Who do you think you are? I'm my own God. You're not, you're just one of many ways. This is the one guy mocking and insulting. If you're really him, then prove it. And then the other guy receiving. What we have to do is we have to put away doubts and we have to put away fears. And I'm going to give you five things that you must know to be saved. You say, there's only five things i got to know to be saved. Well, technically only one. Two things you need to be saved, but but we're going to give you five. First one you need to know to be saved is, number one, is you're going to face God after you die. This is an appointment, ladies and gentlemen, that we all have, and you can't cancel it. Every single one of us will face the Lord when we die. You say, I don't believe that. Well, I say to you, good luck. We have this understanding or we have this belief that if we suppress it or if we don't believe it, then it doesn't exist. Who told you that? We believe that we can determine our reality by what we believe. I wish that was the case. I believe I have a million dollars in my bank account right now. It's not there. Wait a minute, try it again. I believe I have a million dollars. It's not going to happen. An easy way, I always use this one. People, we talk about gravity. Say, I don't believe God exists. Okay, so you say you don't believe he exists, therefore he doesn't exist. Well, if you jump off of a building and you say, I don't believe in gravity, gravity is going to prove to you that it's there whether you believe it or not. So on your way down, you're going to go, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. <laughs> I shared this one time. I was out street witnessing. That's Tony Scott. And the guy goes... Well, I can see gravity, and he drops a pack of cigarettes on the ground. I said, no, you see the effects of gravity. That's not gravity. That's the effect of gravity. I said, you'd see the effects of a creator all around you. I said, where'd the tree come from? Where's the clouds come from? Why does, why does, every, why does the creative order exist as it exists? You see the effects of the creator in the creation. It's the same thing. Sun rises in the east, sets in the west. The earth spins on nothing. Okay. It's, it's the, the, the balance of nature itself, the cycles of nature itself, tell us that there's an order. There's a creation. There's a design. And if there's a creation, there must be a creator. And if there's a design, there must be a designer. And this creator and this designer can be known. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, God, came down to show us who he is. He came down for us to die in our place because we had been separated. Hebrews tells us this. It is appointed, say this with me, it is appointed for everyone to die once and after this to face the judgment. We don't die many times. We're not coming back in this karma cycle over and over again. That's a bunch of nonsense. I wish it was true, but it's not. You die one time. And after this, you face a judgment. Even Christians, there's two thrones in heaven. The Bible's very clear. There's the white throne for the unbeliever, and there's a rainbow throne for the unbeliever. It's called the Bema seat, or for the believer. It's called the Bema seat. It's the seat of reward. The judgment upon the Christian is different than the judgment upon the non-Christian. Our judgment is what we did with our lives. You are going to account for what you did with the glorious gospel, Christian. You will account for it. What did you do with what I gave you? Not unto judgment, but unto reward. I entrusted you with talents. I entrusted you with minas. What did you do with it? Well, I had a shell collection, Lord. Did you see my car? Man, that was awesome. Unse, 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 unse. Unimpressed. Our, our reward is based upon what we do for him in this life. And so this, I'm just going to speak this out to the Christian. The minimum standard, there's a minimum standard, okay? God is just not random, and it's just like make it up as you go along. There's, a, there's measure and there's fullness. The measure and the minimum standard upon every believer is commitment and connection into the local church. The Bible says that Jesus said the least you could have done was entrusted it to the stewards, The stewards are the overseers of the house your time your talent your treasure the minimum standard of reward or the minimum standard of expectation is the commitment and connection not just to Christ but to his local body within the city that exists that's the minimum standard minimum we think oh I'm doing great I'm serving the church you're doing nothing you're you're in preschool you're in elementary school God not only wants to take you there he wants to take you into destiny personal destiny transformational destiny world-changing destiny but it doesn't happen until you begin to commit and connect to a church bible says to him be glory through the church glory doesn't come anywhere else except through the church so we got lone ranger christians don't believe they need to connect to a church don't believe they need to commit to a church and you know what their lives do they effectively do nothing Zero. Zero. I'll take people who commit and connect to churches, go through discipleship processes, go through our leadership processes, go through the things that we we train them towards and push them towards, and I'll put them up against any believer who, I don't care if you sit at home and you can quote all 66 books in detail. I'll take the believer through this house and compare them with your life, and their life will excel, and you'll be sitting there. And you'll wonder why none of your ministries work, or none of your efforts work, or nothing works, because you don't commit and connect it to the church. Jesus isn't into Lone Ranger's. The only thing he's building in time and space is the church did upon this rock I'll build your life upon this rock I'll build the kingdom upon this rock, no upon this rock I'll build the church the only thing he's building in time and space is the Ecclesia and from the Ecclesia he builds the kingdom he is not building the kingdom without the church you cannot find that anywhere in the Bible it doesn't exist doesn't exist it is through the church Every single time. It's his bride. Ladies, I don't know if anybody's married in here. Do you like it when your husband does stuff without you? No, typically no. There's, there's, a, there's a communion with the spouse. And when you're off doing your own thing and you're not partnering with the spouse, it doesn't always work out very well. Right? He's chosen the church as his bride to commune and covenant with in order to manifest, give birth to many things. It's not individual. You can't do it without him. And you can't do it without his church. We're all going to die. We're all going to face a judgment. Christians face a different judgment than the non-believer. People, when they die, guys, have a near-death experience. People go, I saw a bright white light. That's the light you want to avoid. Okay? (laughs) You don't want to be going to the white lights. And then other people were like, it was like a disco ball. And I saw all these colors, and it was like a rainbow. That's where you want to go. You want to go to the disco. (laughs) <laughs> the beam of seat, the seat of reward, the rainbow throne, the Bible. The, it's the throne of lights, glorious, glorious lights, covenantal lights. The white throne is the throne of judgment. All of us, here's a, just in case this isn't a one-time deal, this is 2 Corinthians 5.10. All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one of us will receive our due according to the things what we've done in the body, whether it's good or bad, to the unbeliever, if you reject Jesus and his offer, you get to pay for all of your sins. All of them. Good luck. You're not going to make it. To the believer, you receive the payment of Christ. He's atoned for your sins. He's, and now what your, what your judgment is and what God is evaluating your life on is what you did or did not do for him. The obedience that you had unto his spirit. Commute. You say, I don't know what God expects from me. Well, there's some basic things. One of the things that's the easiest thing for people to understand what God wants from you is commun- beginning to commune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's given to us. He's the administrator of heaven. He's the government of heaven. He's the voice of our Father unto us. We need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's basic things that God expects from all of us as Christians, and then there are things that He is going to do with you personally. You're, a bu- you're on purpose with a purpose. You have a calling. You have destiny in your heart. All of you know it. You only, everybody, there's not a person in the world. If I was to ask anybody, do you believe you're born with a purpose? Everybody's going to go, yeah, I believe I'm born for something. I have no clue what it is, but I know I'm born for something. You're born for something because he made you born for something. And because the, what, what you need to do is begin to discover that, and you'll never discover it without Jesus. will not happen. You were made by him, for him. For from him, to him, through him are all things. And by him all things consist. You're not going to do any. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Some of you are wondering why your life doesn't work. Because you're doing it without Jesus. You're wondering why nothing over here is working. The relationship, the job, the family, the finances. Nothing works because you're doing it without him. You're doing it without him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With him, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without him. All right? (laughs) right. Everybody see that movie Night and Day with Tom Cruise? All right, with me, without me. With me, without me. <laughs> First Peter says, we will have to give an account to him who will judge the living and the dead. Wow. I live with this. This is a sobering. I, tell my, I, I live with this concept and connection every day. I got one shot and so do you. Your most precious commodity is your time, how you choose to spend it, how you choose to invest it, everything. I will stand before the Lord. And I am determined I will not offer him zero. I'm not coming before him empty-handed. You will be before a great cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before you. Jesus will have the, court, the, the the arena around you, and he'll call your name. And they'll go, they'll read, well, we don't have much here, okay. Yeah, well, he is born again. The Bible says you'll get saved but by smoke. In other words, your rear end will be smoking, but you'll get into the kingdom. If you confess Christ and give your heart to Jesus, you get in. But you're not bringing in any. You don't have an offering to him. You don't have a reward. There's nothing that you've done unto him. Bible says, "What is done in secret will be proclaimed from the housetops." What do you think that's talking about? It's talking about all the things you've served Jesus and did, and all of the things that you have done for him by his heart and through his spirit that nobody knows about. Nobody knows. All of you intercessors, the things that are done in secret, he will proclaim from the housetops. They will herald it in the kingdom. All of the things that were done that nobody knows. It's not the guys that are signing the 8x10 glossies that are going to the front of the line. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jesus doesn't celebrate those who are known, he celebrates the unknown. Jesus isn't interested in vanity. The Bible says, No flesh glories before me. It's a sobering thought. A lot of people in this world, a lot of our celebrity kind of Christianity, you have your reward. That's what the Bible says. You got it. You got the accolades and the praises of men, you got all of it. You already had your reward. You already had it. So you, go back to the line, you know. <laughs> bring me the missionary. Bring me the, bring me the mom who served kids. Bring me, bring me those. Those are the ones that are going to the front of the line. We have an appointment, and we are going to keep it. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to give your life today. Say, I don't know. I'll wait till my deathbed. Good luck. The people that died today didn't think they were going to die yesterday. The people that die at 12 o'clock didn't think they were going to die at 1130. Nobody knows the hour of their death, and nobody sees it coming. Nobody. Nobody. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. No one's guaranteed. So the first thing is, is you have an appointment, and you're not going to miss it. Second thing is, is if you don't know Jesus, and how do you be saved, is that you've sinned against the Lord. Everybody has sinned against the Lord. Say this, all have sinned, including me. That's right. We're all separated. Say, well, I'm not, I'm not as bad a sinner as this guy. We, or you're all sinners. We're all sinners. Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated you. What's iniquities? Iniquities are issues in the bloodline. All of us are descendants of Adam. Adam's sin. Can I get a witness? Okay. Adam's, Adam's the dude that caused the whole thing to fall down. And we're all descendants of Adam. All of us carry within us the bloodline of, of Adam born of adam that's why we must be born again born of the blood of adam that's why we need the blood of jesus we're born of a corruptible seed we must be born again by spiritual incorruptible seeds that's the concept iniquities have separated us what's iniquities issues in your bloodline so the issues in our bloodline that's what separated us adam's sin caused the separation but then we sin, and what happens when we sin is God's face is hidden from us, and his voice is dulled to us. It's true. That's why men and everybody's running around trying to make up God. They don't know Jesus. People that don't know Christ, it's like God as you understand him to be. Because we don't know who he is. We're blinded to who he is. And we can't hear him. To the sinner, to the person who doesn't know Christ and have never given their life to Christ, the only thing that's ever going to make sense to you is you are lost and you are separated. You cannot save yourself, and you need Christ. And if you do not repent and give your life to him, you are eternally lost. And something will go. You may not understand anything about the Bible, but something inside of you is going to go, ding. Because that's the only truth that's given to the unbeliever to to understand. The mysteries of the kingdom are given to the sons and the daughters. You want the mysteries of God, you want to understand God, you understand his heart, you understand his kingdom, you understand his spirit, you must first come through the doorway of Jesus. Nothing else is given to the person who doesn't know Christ. That's the only thing they're given to understand is that they're lost. Nothing else. Nothing else. And when you come to Christ, then all of a sudden you're, you you now, have, the veil is lifted, the mind of Christ is given to you, and now you enter into a world of understanding. That's why when people get born again, they're like, wow, wow, I see Jesus everywhere. How come I couldn't hear I couldn't see him before because you were blinded to him. Oh, man, I'm hearing him. I feel like God's speaking to me. Isn't that crazy? I was in line. I was thinking, I want donuts, and somebody handed me a donut. I was like, what? (laughs) This is like crazy stories that people tell, you know? And they have that when they come to... This stuff begins... You enter into a different reality, a different world. The thief on the cross said, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? God's goodness. God has intended goodness for your life. It means weight, weight or substance. That's what the word glory means. It's the Hebrew word kavod. All have sinned and fallen short of God's intended goodness for you. Everyone has. God's intended goodness is that mankind would be in relationship with him, in partnership with him. Sons and daughters bringing forth our father's business into the world. That's God's intended purpose. What's that look like? I don't, it, looks, it looks corporate and it looks individual. Every one of us is sin. The wages of sin is death but, death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23. Anybody know wages is what you earned, right? Right? It's what you earned that. So the wages of what we've earned is death. But the gift of God is life. He gives us what we don't deserve. He offers us what we don't deserve. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. This is what I tell Christians. A lot of times people are self-condemning. They come to Christ and they beat themselves up. I'm like, if he loved you when you were a sinner, how much more does he love you now? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. He doesn't have a bad thought about you ever. You're in Christ. He loves you. You're accepted. You don't know what I did. I don't know what you did, but he does. If your heart condemns you, he's greater than your heart and he knows everything. He already knows and he's not condemning you. Well, my heart's condemning you. Well, God's greater than your heart. You say, is he says he's that good. He's that good. You say, is he says he's that loving. He's not loving. Say this: God, God is, more is more loving than, than I think. Than I think. Therefore, Therefore, I must change the way I think. I way say this, I think. this with me: Jesus, Jesus is more isn't it more better more better. Jesus is better. better. I want to say good. Jesus is better, better. than I think. Than I think. Therefore, Therefore, I must change the way I think. I way I think. Say this: Jesus is kinder than i think therefore i must change the way i think he's kind yes come on people go i'm not that bad i didn't commit those i don't understand why first of all you're born separated Adam, you're born a sinner that baby, so those no those babies are innocent no those babies are born separated from god right you say, what happens with now now the questions, I'm stirring up questions when I make that statement because I can already feel the question. What happens with a child when they die? The child goes to be with the Lord. That's what happens when the child dies. There's something called a cognitive state of awareness. And I believe God is merciful until the child or the person reaches a cognitive state of awareness. Hebrews, it's true. The Hebrews had a thing called bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah, and really the whole point of bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah to some of you are Jewish, to that when you got bar mitzvah, is that you are now accountable unto the word of God. It was an age of accountability. They had reached an age of cognitive awareness, and now would become responsible for their own actions. And so that that's really the, the the state of being. God is merciful, and He is kind. Bible says this, whosoever shall keep the whole of the law yet stumble in one party is guilty of the all. And what the Bible's telling us is if you're guilty of the whole, you're guilty. If you're guilty of the part, you're guilty of the whole. The standard of God is perfection. Anybody perfect? I got a microphone. We can bring a hot mic up here. You can testify and tell us how perfect you are if you like. <laughs> none of us are perfect. And the standard of God's kingdom is perfection. So none of us can meet that standard. Therefore, we all fall short. So we needed a plan. There needed to be a plan. That plan is Jesus. Jesus is perfect. God in flesh come down in human form, completely and totally sinless. So the second thing you need to know is, is that uh, you've sinned against the Lord. Third, third thing you need to know is that only Jesus can save you. Nobody, Mohammed Muhammad is not saving you. Krishna and Buddha are not saving you. I always tell my Buddhist friends, Buddhism's kind of a, the in vogue thing. I'm like, they got a great diet plan, man. Yak butter and goat's milk, awesome, right in. Vegan all the way. Great diet plan, but they're not saving you. Buddhism does not save. Islam does not save. Judaism does not save. Only Jesus saves. It's true. There is no name given under heaven by which we can be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee bows and every tongue confesses. No one else can save you. (laughs) <laughs> you can't save you. Nope. <laughs> Only Jesus. So what happens in the story of Christ when he's going to be crucified? He's taken in the garden and Jesus goes through three trials before he's crucified, all within a span of about 12 hours. He's not, and in that process, prior to the, to the, to the cross, he's beaten in, in, after all of this. He goes before a trial before the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the religiously correct and They bring Jesus before them, and they can find no sin in him. They bring all of these accusations, but there is no sin that they can find in him other than the fact that he says he's God. And he's like, I'm guilty of that one, because I am. Right? So, they, so the Pharisees, he was guiltless. So then they drag him before Herod. They take him before a civil authority. There he takes and goes before the religious authorities, and he goes between two, before two civil authorities. They take him before King Herod. King Herod said, there's no sin in him. He cannot be condemned. Then they take him before Pilate. And Pilate goes, there's no sin in him. I cannot condemn him. Anybody know what Pilate did? He washed his hands. said, you want to kill him? I can find no sin in him. He's sinless, so he's declared sinless by the religious authorities, and by the civil authorities. Sinless, the standard of perfection. When he rose from the dead, the Bible declared, The Bible says that he's declared to be the Son of God. He's declared to be sinless because he was resurrected from the dead. The grave holds sinners, Christian. Wow, that's what it does. The grave holds the sinner. The grave couldn't hold him. He rose. He rose. It's true. Declared to be the son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. Romans 1, 4. The fourth thing you need to know is that you're saved. Not only Jesus is the only one who can save you, is that you're saved only, say it with me, only, only. By, grace. by grace. Somebody goes, what's grace? They give an across to God's riches at Christ's expense. Yes, that's true. But I'll take you a little deeper. It's spiritual power moving in love. That's what saves you. When you receive Jesus, you know what happens? spiritual power moving in love comes into you, and you become born again. That's the trend. It's not intellectually convinced. If you're here and you just believe in your mind, and I'm intellectually convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, you're not converted. You can be intellectually convinced, but your heart's not converted. And to those who say, I don't understand this, I, I can't make any sense of this, it doesn't matter if you can make sense of it. You can believe it without, having making, without being able to make sense of it. A lot of people believe, well, i got to understand everything or I can't believe it. Says who? Who told you that? Anybody understand thermodynamics? Anybody understand the law of lift and thrust? You know how to get on an airplane? Anybody understand the engineering that goes on, how those engines work, and the weight capacity and the, 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 the thrust to the lift and the weight dynamics? Anybody want to do a calculation on that? But you'll get on that airplane, but you don't understand how it works. You get in that car, turn it on. You don't understand how it works. Then when it stops working, you go, I don't know why. It just stopped working. I don't understand how it works. <laughs> we do lots of things without understanding how it works. We believe and put our faith in things without understanding it. The gospel's no different. You don't need to understand. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus says, no, you, when you believe it, then you'll see it. Right? You don't see anything until you believe. It's hidden from your eyes faith is what opens your eyes it's a paradox it's a divine paradox his world is not our world his ways are not our ways we want to be convinced and then we'll believe well good luck it makes no sense the bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing it's foolishness it makes no sense it really doesn't and you know he does it on purpose he wants you to play the fool he wants you to believe in foolishness the foolishness of god is greater than the wisdom of men god so here's the here's the gospel jesus became a man born of a virgin the bible literally says he made himself a body gave birth to himself through mary lived 33 years sinlessly was crucified did lots of miracles in between was crucified for claiming to be god beaten all of this stuff rises from the dead and ascends into heaven yeah that's perfectly makes perfect sense it makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. That, that to the rational Bible, to the Greek mind, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. To the spiritual mind at the time, which was the Hebrew mind, it is, it's an offense. It's offensive because it's done in a way that they would not do it. It's done outside of religious context. Religion says, earn it. Religious says, do all the right things. Jesus says, relate to me. Let's have a relationship And so that becomes offensive to the religious people. That's why grace grace offends religious people. It does. We get offended. Oh, what do you mean there's no condemnation? There's no condemnation. What do you mean all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable? I mean all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. That's what the Bible says. You're free from sin completely. There is no judgment on you ever. Your sin did not disqualify you from heaven. They disqualify you. Sin as a Christian does not disqualify you from heaven. It disqualifies you from destiny Big difference. You're born again. You're born of the spirit. You're, you're his. You're his child, even if you don't act like it. Most people, most Christians don't act like it because they have a major issue. With, they don't understand who they are. We think we're slaves. We think we're servants. We think we're friends. You're sons and daughters. Yes. <laughs> Heirs to his royal world. Heirs of that world and in this one, oranos, in all realms, the Bible says. We have authority. The Greek word is Oranos. In all realms, all realms, sons and daughters, heirs of his world, loved by our father, adored by our father, God's face beaming every time you walk in the room, even if you just came from the club. <laughs> He's glad to see you. <laughs> Your club experience is not gonna profit you, it's gonna destroy you, but it doesn't take his love from you. It's true it's true what can separate us from the love of God the nightclub I don't think so nothing it doesn't take his love from you his eye is always on you his eye towards you when, you're in his, when you become his it's like he's mine Bible says this you are the apple of his eye you are literally every, he, it's, you become so precious and so valuable to him our problem is is that we don't know how to understand we don't know how to partner with that identity that's our big problem We don't know how to partner with that. We don't know how to align ourselves with that. We don't know how to receive from that. We don't know how to draw from an inheritance that rightfully belongs to us. Heirs of this world and the one to come. We don't know how to undo the enemy's bondage in our life, even though we have the authority. (laughs) Christians are bound with chains they can't see. I'm free in Christ. Are you? Are you? You have authority, but you have to appropriate that authority into the arenas of your life. You have to appropriate it. You have to release the, the enemy, holds you. You're born again, but the devil is going to hold areas of your life. And until you understand who you are and you tell him to get off the, off the couch, he's going to sit there and eat Doritos. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's what happens. Say, God's doing this to me. God's not doing anything to you. What God is allowing to happen is he's exposing an area of your life in order for you to see it and understand that's not my inheritance. And until you come to the place where you understand that's not my inheritance, it's, you're going to get eaten alive. I see them I'm like that's not Jesus. That's not mine. Sorry, wrong answer. People all the time want to tell me who I am. I'm like, you, you don't define me. You don't, get, you don't have the right to define me. There's only one who I don't define me. Only Jesus defines me. And it doesn't matter what anybody says or who anybody says I am He alone defines me and He says I'm loved. He says I'm a son. He says I'm an heir. Amen. Amen. That's right. Yes. You have to understand what belongs to you Christian. You have to refuse anything to the contrary. Poverty doesn't belong to you. That's not from heaven. Who told you that? Yes. Poverty's a curse. Yes. 100% I teach you guys this one of the things that I mean you do it a lot of different ways, but it's just a simple one. The Bible says the devil makes his land a wasteland. Wherever the enemy is, it's a wasteland. If you got poverty in a relationship, that's not of God. If you got poverty in your finances, not of God. If you got poverty in your emotions and in your soul, not of God. You got poverty in your mind, not of God. Pick a pick an arena where there's no growth or there's no harvest, and if it's not flourishing, it's not of God. Every area of your life. Moise, I love you. I'm going to... This guy's like just... My cheerleading session. I'm going to have you do a seminar. Now, when the pastor talks like this, this is when we cheer. This is when we do this. Encourage participation. Say this with me. Every area of my life that does not have glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. Whatever area of your life does not does not present itself with hope to you? Your future, it's under the influence of a lie. Your present, it's under the influence of a lie. You don't believe you don't you, you don't believe who you are, and you don't believe who he is. You you are being lied to and told that you're not worthy, you're being lied to that you believe something about yourself that's not true, you believe something about God that's not true. You believe something about the presence and the power of God that's not true. Every area of your life that does not present with glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. That's one of the strongholds of the devil. Every high thing that exalts itself, what? Against the knowledge of Christ. Not just knowing Jesus. The knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of his kingdom, the knowledge of everything Jesus said, everything the Father has is mine. And the Holy Spirit comes to make known to you what belongs to, to Jesus and give it to you. Every area of your life that, is under the influ- that does not have hope is under the influence of a lie. 100% guaranteed. Say, I don't believe that, okay. All right, ask for me in my house. (laughs) We go to the mountain, people. I refuse to stay in the valley. I refuse. Jesus has said I can have the mountain. I want the mountain. I'm serious. (laughs) Caleb said, give me the mountain. He didn't hesitate. He said, hold on a second. He waited 40 years for what God, God said, I'm giving you that mountain, Caleb, and I'm giving you the arena around Horeb. God gave him one of the choicest pieces of property and all of the land because he was faithful to God. And God goes, this is what I'm going to give you. And he waited 40 years for it. And when the time came and all of a sudden he's like, hold on a second, we're doling out, we're doling out the land. Caleb goes to the front of the line. He said, give me what God has promised me. I want the mountain. He said, I could have it. He's not a God that he should lie. He's generous in giving. Most Christians are demure. God gives you the arrow of deliverance. This is another story in the book of Kings. So he said, the prophet puts arrows in his hand, and he says, smite the arrows on the ground so that the Lord would smite your enemies. And you know what the king does? He taps them. And the prophet said, you should have smashed them to miss smithereens. But because you only struck three times, therefore your enemies will only be struck. But had you taken God at his word and smashed those arrows into nothing, then your enemies would have been nothing. What is he expecting? When he gives you something, he's expecting you to boldly enter into it. He's expecting you to boldly claim it. He's, that's, what he, that's, that's the idea. He's not expecting you to just go, Oh, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God gets no glory in that ever, ever. I tell this to parents all the time. I'm like, do you, like if you have, a, you have a child and that child's acting pathetic, do you have glory in that? You go to the grocery store and they're laying on the floor and they're going, Mommy, I can't get up, Mommy. You're like, get up off that floor right now. <laughs> you know what you're making me look like here? It's not just about the child, it's about you, is it not? That child is a reflection of you. We're sons and daughters, and we're reflections of him. And God's not looking for invalids, people. He's not looking for pathetic whiners. (laughs) Sons and daughters of God, professional thumb suckers, that's what we are. (sniffs) Roll around on the floor, never knowing what's ours, never laying claim to our inheritance. It's the whole point. That's why God puts the book of Exodus there for us. And then the book of Joshua, where they go into the promised land, he puts that there so that we can understand that God expects us to take what he's offered. And he expects us to fight for what he's offered. If he's promised it to you, Christian, contend for it. You say, if he told me I could have it, why don't I have it? Because you have a devil that doesn't want you to have it. He doesn't give you a clean run at it. What he does is he resists you, and then he points the finger at God. That's exactly what he does. Oh, well, if God really wanted you to have that, he'd have that. When the whole time, he's the one keeping you from it. (laughs) That's it. He's an accuser. Or he'll say, God doesn't really love you. Because if he loved you, he would do something about this. Why? Or he'll say, well, you see, you're just not really worthy. If you were worthy, then God would give it to you. Lies. He's an accuser, not just of you, but of God. He fronts God. He's not good. That's his challenge. He's always pointing and saying, God's not good. He'll either tell you you're not worthy, or he'll tell you God's not good. Both of those are lies. And every other lie is a subset of those two. Every other one. It's only by grace, spiritual power moving in love. only by the power of God that we can be saved what happened to the thief he said remember me huh remember me when you come into your kingdom you know we we, in in the modern church we want to give and we're going to do a prayer if you've never received Jesus and it'll be pretty thorough but we'll all pray together so don't freak out I'm not going to call you for you're like oh my gosh I knew he's going to call me for don't worry I got you we do these theological prayers and we want to make sure that we cover all points as we do the prayer. We need to make sure that the prayer of salvation includes all of these things or we're not saved. Well, this guy didn't include anything. He just said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't didn't give the theological prayer. I'm not against theological prayers. We should pray them. But this this didn't happen. Then we go, well, you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. When did he get baptized? Where's the baptism here? Did Jesus go, hold on a minute. Can somebody give me a bucket of water throw throw it through Hurl it On the count of three, I want you to hurl it on him. One, two, three. Okay, we're good. <laughs> he didn't do it. What he did is he believed in his heart, and he confessed with his mouth, what? That Jesus Christ was Lord. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I know you are a king, and I know you have this power. That's what the statement meant. He believed in his heart, and he said so. He didn't believe in his mind. He believed it in, his de- in the depth of his heart. He didn't even know what was going on. Why is the Messiah dying? Aren't you supposed to be the king? Aren't you supposed to be God in the flesh? Why are you dying? He didn't understand it. But that didn't matter to him. He believed that this, whatever was going on, this, this was necessary. And he just put his faith in whatever God was doing at the moment. He's like, I have no idea what you're doing, but you remember me. The Bible says when Jesus died, it says he went down into the depths of the earth. He went three days and three nights in the earth. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't tortured. The Bible says He testified. Who did he testify? So before, before, there was, before Christ rose, when if you died looking forward with faith in God, you went to a place called paradise, and you were held in paradise until Christ, now the blood is shed. Jesus went down there, and he went to take. He, went, he talked to the people that were in paradise. He said, hey, everybody, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm here. Time to go. Pack your bags. Let's go. We're going to go. We're going to go. And he also went to those who were condemned. They are held in a place called Sheol, and he testified to them. And he told them, I'm the one you rejected. I'm the one you heard about your whole life. Right? I'm the one, who, you know, you're serving all your false idols. He's the ones that, I'm the one you rejected. But to the believer, he went there and he, and he testified to them. And he said, I'm the one you've been waiting for. So can you imagine? Everybody's hanging out and you're in paradise. And what was paradise? Paradise was paradise, okay? Heaven's greater than paradise. But whatever paradise was, it was paradise. So Jesus comes cruising into paradise, right? And you're like, oh, check it out. It's the Lord. And then there's some dude just walking behind him, kind of going, wow, where are in the world. <laughs> So you got the king strolling in the room and then you got this dude that just kind of walking in going, I don't know, I'm, I'm with him, man. I'm here, I'm here. I'm wingman, right? And he told him, I'm the one. The Bible says he crushes the head of the serpent, right? Anybody know that? The Bible says he took back the keys of hell and the grave. Yes. Satan came and poet pledged homage to him, gave him the keys of hell and the grave and Jesus made him bow. He put his foot on his head and he kicked off. That's how it worked. Rose from the dead with a kickoff. Some of you want NFL kickoff. Kickoff's on Easter Sunday. Okay? <laughs> Jesus kicked off on the head of the devil. He says, "He confess with his mouth. He didn't beg Jesus, right? You don't have to beg him. He didn't bargain with him because he had nothing to offer. And you know what? Neither do you and neither do I. I have nothing to offer. And the fifth thing you got to know, last thing you got to know, is he'll save you if you ask. If you ask him, he'll do it. He's going to do it for you unless you ask him. The Bible says this, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. It can't get any easier. The one who comes to me, John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, calls upon me, and requires this of me, Jesus said, I will not reject you. I don't care who you are. I will not reject you. The one thing God cannot do is he cannot lie. He cannot lie he's not a man that he should lie you say how can we be sure how can we be sure that jesus saved how can you be sure that i'm actually saved you know why because he said so he said so jesus said i assured you today you'll be in paradise john 14 3 he said in my father's house are many mansions it's the word abiding realms and dwelling places in my father's house there are realms and dwelling places and you know what he said If this wasn't so, I would have told you. I had a bit of a crisis of faith a little while back ago. I just got a couple minutes. We're going to take communion. I think it plays into this. And I was praying. My niece died, and um, uh, my wife's niece on her side of the family uh, died. Crazy story. Tragic thing. And so I'm there, and I'm, you know, all this stuff. I won't get into all of it, but um, I was just kind of like, wow, man. It was just like one of those moments that it was like so sudden and so up close and so personal And I was just, like, in this, like, surreal realm. And I was like, man, Lord, is heaven real? Is heaven real? And you're like, how can you doubt, Pastor? Oh, how can you doubt? I would never doubt Jesus. Nor have I ever doubted that there's an afterlife ever. Well, you're more spiritual than me, so stretch your hands towards me, you know. And so I was praying, and I was asking the Lord. I'm like, is it real, Lord? I just, you know, I was just kind of in this moment where I was just talking to him. And I was reading my Bible a few days later, and as I was reading it, I came across this verse. And what stood out to me is Jesus said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. He said, if this wasn't real, Kevin, I would have told you. I would have told you. And I was just like, whoa. It's so because he's told us. Huh? Jesus spoke more in heaven than anybody else. And you know what else? He spoke on more in hell than anybody else. Why did he speak on heaven and hell more than anybody else in all of Scripture? Because he knows both of them are real. These aren't fantasies. They're very real places. And he spoke about them very, very clearly. He will save you because he said so. Not about you. You say, I'm messed up. Aren't we all? The concept of Lazarus. There was a guy that was dead in the grave. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He came out of the grave, right? He was alive. Is anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Know the story? So he resurrects He calls out a dead man. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus rises from the dead. They moved the, he moved the stone away, and the man came out bound with grave clothes. Did he not? Anybody know that story? So he was raised from the dead, yet he was still bound. And Jesus told the people around him to loose him. The one that raises the dead can loose the grave clothes, But he commanded that this man is going to go free through community. This man is going to go free through a process, even though he was raised from the dead. You come to Christ and you're resurrected from the dead, but a lot of you are still bound. You're bound with habits. You're bound with attitudes. You're bound with lifestyles. You're bound with choices. You're bound with all kinds of generational junk. But none of that means you're not saved. You're living. You're just a little mummified right now. (laughs) But if you keep walking... The grave clothes are going to loosen, and bands are going to loosen if you keep walking. A lot of times we disqualify. Christians want to disqualify themselves because of the issues in their life. They don't disqualify you. It's your first church of holiness. You can't. I always tell my holiness brothers, there's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. How you doing? You can't be holy. You can't be holy. You cannot produce holiness on your own. You can't. When the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, you're holy. You get in the Holy Spirit, you're holy. You're clean. You're without sin. You don't have an attitude. you got nothing but love in your heart. I know what I'm talking about? Yes. That's holy. You, that your external actions and the internal functions, the, the, the dysfunctions inside of you, do not disqualify you. They do not from the kingdom. They're going to have some issues manifesting your inheritance, so you've got to deal with some of that. But that's, that's another story. Salvation is what? Number one, it's sure. Jesus said, I assure you. It is absolutely certain. Do not be not sure. Do not, told Thomas, don't doubt, Thomas. Believe. Whatever it takes, Thomas, put your hand in my side, put your hand on my wrist, and believe. I assure you. Salvation is immediate. Jesus said, today. Right now, in these moments, I assure you, this is real, and it's going to happen right now. So you're not going to call on me, and it's going to be, well, let me make an appointment for you. Let me put you on the calendar, see if I can fit you in somewhere. It's relational. Jesus said, you will be with me. So salvation comes surely, salvation comes immediate, and salvation comes relationally with Jesus, and it's eternal. It can't be taken from you. So I can lose my salvation. Who told you that? Lots of doctors and PhDs and all this other stuff. You, can't, you, can't, you, cannot, you, you cannot lose your salvation if you are converted. If you're converted. The Bible says they went out from us that it would be known that they're not of us. There's lots of intellectually convinced Christians that are not converted. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see if we're actually saved. So what does that mean? There are people in churches or so-called Christians that are not truly converted. They're intellectual believers. They're not converted in the heart. You say, how do I know? When you get into the mud, do you roll around? Or when you get into the mud, do you cry? If you are if you're converted, you're a sheep. And when, when sheep get in the mud, you know what they do? They cry. Oh, I'm in a mess again, Lord. Oh. I made a bad choice. I took a wrong turn. I'm in the pit again, Lord. The pig, that's no conversion. They roll around in the mud. They like it. They enjoy it. They like to stink. They like all the mud on them. You ever see pigs? I grew up in farm country, man. Disgusting animals. (laughs) They make good bacon, but, you know, other than that... (laughs) Some of you, you need to stop condemning yourselves and you need to love, you need to let Jesus love you and you need to pursue him passionately. Admit it and quit it. How many times? 70 times seven in one day. 490 times. That's a lot. He'll forgive you 490 times. It's eternal. Jesus says, I give them what? Eternal life. And what does he say? They will never perish and no one can take them from me. No one can take them from me. You belong to him. The Bible says that there is no fear in love. Yet our churches proclaim a gospel of fear, constantly putting the Christian under fear. You might lose your salvation. Don't smoke, drink, or chew or hang out with those that do. I saw that R-rated movie, man. I don't know. I might need to go to the altar on Sunday. The Bible says there is no fear in love, for fear pertains to judgment. And we are perfectly loved, therefore, our perfect love does what? Casts out fear. It's the same context. He's saying the fear is related because you're afraid of judgment. You're not judged. You're loved. No one can take it from you. If you don't know Jesus, I have one question for you. What are you waiting for? What in the world? Are you waiting for a better offer? <laughs> I see guys, they date really good girls. And I was like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm like, what, are you waiting for a better offer, man? You waiting for a better offer? <laughs> There's no better offer coming. This is better than you've ever expected. Yes. We're going to do two things. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. And those of you that are here and you've never given your life to Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to just pray the prayer. And if you're unsure, you can pray it with us as well. And When the prayer's over, we're going to take communion together. Let's just pray. I want you to open your heart. All you got to do is open your heart. You don't have to understand it. Just open your heart. Just like the thief, remember me. It's the shortest prayer in the world. Lord, remember me. Just say this, dear Jesus, come on. I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. Therefore, I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Say, that's it? That's the start of it. Come on. Good stuff. We're gonna take communion.